trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And once again, we are back. Welcome, my fellow wrong thinker. I'm so glad that uh, you could join us today. Gary Welch joins me as well. Speaking of wrong thinkers, hi, Gary. Hi, Brian. It's uh, great to be on this show. And I, I, I was, as we were talking before the show went on, I was kind of thinking that maybe we should classify this episode as the Henry Clay version of of the Brian Hyde show. So for all of those recent uh, public school graduates, Henry Clay was a very instrumental figure in preventing the Civil War from not happening in, in the late 1850s versus in 1860s. And so, yeah, so... Welcome to the Henry Clay version, wrong thinkers. Yeah, we, we are definitely standing at a crossroads right now. And, and this is something that I, I want to I'd like to, to pick your ample brain. And, and, and by way of of uh, making sure people understand. So, so what does Gary have to offer on this? Gary, share with the audience a little bit of the, the background that you bring. I mean, you you have a background in marketing. You have a background in, in political um, analysis and and talk to me about uh, about uh, some of your experience in politics and then let's talk about some of the solutions that uh, might be overlooked for those who are still kind of fixated on the two-party system yeah so um i came from a marketing background and what i did is in the early 2000s before things like demographics and um analytics and whatnot was really popular I brought that those skill sets into the political community. So I lived in Washington State, and I was very much involved with the Republican Party. Uh, I had a very good campaign manager that mentored me. And so bringing, I brought the marketing and the political together and moved up very high into the, I would say, the management of the Republican Party and the, you know, the consultants and folks like that. I met a lot of influential people that were behind the scenes in, in Washington state Republican politics. Got to a certain point with them, and then as I was having conversations, I was trying to present new ideas, and these conversations started getting dark of, of things about the GOP that a lot of people don't recognize and see, but things that just indicated to me that they did not share my moral values. <laughs> not that in Republicans in general, but just in the leadership. And so because of that, I left and started working with third parties. And, and I've been very much involved with third parties since then, um, kind of bounced around between a couple of them. But recognizing the faults and the problems that they've had, I've been trying to focus on how do we find a solution. If, they have, if a big party solution's not there and a third party solution's not there, what other solutions are out there? Okay, and that sounds like a very good place to start. And by the way, I'm going to open up the phone lines just in case uh, anybody wants to join us in this conversation. 801-331-8113. Look, I know there's anger. I feel frustration myself when I, I have this perception that the system itself has been gamed in such a way that it can be uh, manipulated in favor of those who are currently in power. 
or those who are closest to those levers of power. And, and that frustrates me because it means that we've lost even more accountability from a government that seems to get more distant from us every single day. Anger enough is not going to solve the problem. And, and even though there are people who are out there really angry and some, you know, I look at the Proud Boys and Antifa fighting it out in the streets and some people, you know, feel like, well, that's cathartic. That's that's how we're going to have to settle this. I don't think that leads anywhere productive. Now, Gary is here because, uh, Gary, I know you're a guy who thinks a lot about uh, solutions and thinks primarily in terms of principles. You know, what's the more principled way to approach this? So setting the anger aside for the average voter. What is something that you could recommend they do to better their position, regardless of whether, you know, uh, Biden, who I think now officially has, you know, received the necessary electoral votes or Trump is still in the White House come January 20th? I'll I'll probably stun you with this, but I do not have a lot of confidence in the quote unquote average voter. I really do not see them as a solution. I do not. And you'd go like, well, that's crazy, Gary. How would anything happen if, if the average voter doesn't really do things? But what I have known, and, and I preach this a lot to everybody, that we're not in a very unique situation. The average voter in American politics from the very beginning has been misinformed, uninformed, not really an intelligent political person and whatnot, and tends to go for things that really are not critical and important. And they don't understand the workings behind the curtains or anything like that. I, I always feel if change is going to happen, if we are going to do something, that is the role of what I call the politically active. And, and those are folks like yourself, influencers and, and radio show hosts, and these people who are active in politics. You set the pace, the voters will follow. And, and I think there's an issue there because we as influencers are looking to the voters. We're trying to convince the voters to do the right things, the voters to become aware, the voters to know their constitutions and things like that. And I'm saying you're wasting your time that they're they don't want it. They don't they don't care. Do you think that there is enough of a groundswell of dissatisfaction, though, that some of those people who have previously have just you know, sat comfortably and been observers are finally going to be motivated to be more active, even if it's becoming better informed or is something more going to be required before that happens? Something more needs to be to to be to happen on that. The the status quo, as we have just found out, has just asserted themselves. And right now they're controlling the narrative. This is on both sides, whether you're a Republican or Democrat. That narrative is being controlled by those who hold power, and they have a very good control on that. We have to recognize just how powerful of a control they have. COVID proved that beyond any shadow of a doubt when they told Americans, we are going to incarcerate you in your homes without you doing anything wrong or without even really a good proof or evidence. We're going to do that, and the American people bought into it. Yeah, this I think one of the things that uh, that I'd like to explore with you today, Gary, is is the concept of consent. And, you know, some people are going to think this this may sound like, you know, a, a temper tantrum. But um, I learned a long time ago that the only thing that allows people in power or government to, you know, to, to do what it wants to do is people give 
their consent. They may give it grudgingly. They may give it willingly. But without their consent, nothing is going to happen. And, and so I, I wouldn't mind getting your take on how a person uh, could, could weigh, you know, what's the line in the sand? At, at what point do I say, this is not something I can support and withdraw their consent? And, and for that matter, what are some of the ways that they might best do that? I'm talking peacefully, of course. And I'm actually a very big fan of that. I mean, I think that's a wrong thinker type of mentality and something that you have shared off and that you you've absolutely convinced me of is the power of nullification, the power to say no. In fact, I always say this, that in a democratic Republican society, the, uh, you know, a constitutional society, the most powerful word is no. We should use it often. And we should use it very strongly as much as possible, even when it sounds good. You know, hey, we're going to help people out and we want to do this because it's a good thing. We should always come back and say, no, 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 you don't. You don't. You can't. You won't. No, I, I agree. It, it's a very overlooked word. And well, hopefully that's something you and I can can explore a little bit uh, a little bit more in detail. Um, there's actually a clip. I'm not going to have time to play it this time around. When we come back, though, um, I don't know if you're a fan of Babylon 5, but there's oh, yeah. there's a great clip from there where where one of the, the heroes, one of the protagonists in the show is is being accused of a crime and, and being told you have to confess to it. And, and he illustrates the power of the word no. And, and I'm going to let Bruce Boxleitner do it because he, he does it best. But look, I, I want people to understand the, 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 the anger that a lot of people are feeling, the frustration people are feeling, is not the product of a bunch of mindless Trump cultists who are just mad because Orange Man, you know, has, has apparently lost this election. Yes, he was the most visible candidate and for some people was a rallying point. But I think it's very possible for the rest of us that it's it looks fishy. There are some really strange things that appear to have taken place with the election that at the very least deserve a closer look and maybe a, uh, some accountability as to why was it done this way? Why were poll watchers pushed out in some areas and then election officials remained and continued counting ballots after the poll watchers had left? That's not supposed to happen, but it appears that it did. And so maybe we should be asking some more of these questions. We will take a quick break. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back right after these messages. The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by Alta Bank. That is my friend John Staples. He is the guy you want to talk to, especially, you know, this is primarily for my listeners in the state of Utah, since that's where John operates. He is a mortgage lender. Alta Bank has the resources to make it happen and make it happen quickly, which it turns out is kind of uh, a convenient thing. 
You would not believe how low the interest rates are right now. Uh, but I would encourage you, go to the show notes at com. At the bottom of the show notes, you'll see a contact link that will put you directly in touch with John. And if you're looking for a refi, looking for a new home loan, do it quickly. I don't know how low these rates can stay for, for how long, but John has the answers for you. Again, that's Alta Bank. Tell him thank you for sponsoring this program and making it possible to bring you this message. All right. Gary Welsh is my guest. And, and Gary, we were talking about the power of the word no. And to illustrate this, I want to play a clip from Babylon 5. And in this, in this clip, John Sheridan is being interrogated and, and being told that he needs to confess to a crime he did not commit. And I, I want you to hear his explanation of, of uh, why he will not play along. We'll liken this to, you know, resisting forced vaccinations or um, some other things as well. But here's the clip. I can save your life. Right now. If you'll let me. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about what you said, the preeminent truth of our age is that you cannot fight the system. But if, as you say, the truth is fluid, that the truth is subjective, then maybe you can fight the system, as long as just... One person refuses to be broken, refuses to bow down. But can you win? Every time I say no. I get goosebumps when I hear that, Gary. Yep. <laughs> that is uh, it's it, and it's a powerful lesson for so many areas of our life. And and I know that uh, some people may think I'm just being a sore loser here and saying, well, you know, because I, because I see things going in a direction that uh, that I'm not willing to to eagerly embrace. You know, somehow that makes me, you know, a, a bad loser here. But I think it comes down to what we're standing for. And I think it comes down to um, this is not just political posturing because. You know, my candidate lost. I'm going to tell you right now, Trump was not my candidate. He was the better candidate, I think, of the choices. And given what his opponents have been enabling and, and urging, I think he was he was a much better choice. But I had no illusions that uh, this was the guy who was going to save us. He was the one who was going to make it all, you know, better again. Uh, give me your thoughts, Gary. So I want to start by just asking a question and that question is, when did politics turn into a sport? Because that's the way we treat it. We treat it like a sport where my team wins, my guy wins, and it doesn't matter. It's just as long as my guy wins and my team wins, then that's a win. And, you know, I have to ask myself, really? Is, is Did they really win? Did did Trump accomplish all the things that he said he was going to do? I just recently looked before I came on the show of, of how he was rated on his campaign promises. He delivered less than 25% of what he promised. I don't think that is an effective president. And again, I, I'm like you, he, I voted for him. I, 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 out of all the people that were out there, I thought he was the best, but I don't see him as my guy. So I can objectively look at him, but 
when you become that, you know, like he's your team, he's your guy and he can do no wrong and his party can do no wrong. That's really putting the blinders on. And that really is a part of the problem. We've got to stop treating it like a team sport where we're just sitting there going, yay, our team won because they have the R and that's it. Well, and and the thing that I have noticed, and I know I'm not alone in this, is it's not so much a matter of a specific candidate didn't get into office. The, The biggest problem that I have is there is tyranny straining at the leash to get at me and and the people I hold dear and and it's been this way for a long time but but it it seems much more earnest it almost there's an urgency in in how bad those who are intent on consolidating power over all of us seem to be playing their hand and the arrogance with which they're playing it the idea that well we'll just issue executive orders and we'll make things happen like that they don't even want to follow the rules themselves they just want the power that has nothing to do with Trump lost and, and, and Biden apparently won. It has to do with the fact that someone wants to impose tyranny on me. And, you know, my answer is no, I can't go along with that. And we have seen it from both sides. I mean, that's, again, part of the team mentality is, well, the Republicans are standing up for us and the Republicans are standing up for our rights. And come on, guys, COVID just blew that all out the door. Here in Utah, where Brian and I live, we saw a Republican governor with a Republican legislature just go and stomp all over our rights and freedoms and took everything away and caused major damage to our society for their their quest for power. Yep. And at some at some point, unless you want to be, you know, a pet to whomever happens to be in power at the moment. You better find, you know, the ability and courage to stand on your own two feet, to tell them no, to reclaim your life and to go about living like free men and free women. And as you pointed out, Gary, the average voter, I think, long ago forgot how to do that. And we have seen this for a while now, and and this has been very concerning. I saw it starting really around when Obama got first elected. And it's just gotten worse. And what you talked about is the arrogance and that really concerns me the arrogance of we can do this and we can get away with it and then they do they get away with it so that just encourages them to go okay let's take the next step let's see how much more we can get you know out of this and how much more we can push and they're doing it with impunity they're breaking laws and they don't care Uh, they get caught they don't care they get proven wrong they don't care they just move along it's like yeah i'm running this show i can do what i want Yeah, I I was listening to a radio host by the name of Neil Larson, who broadcasts out of Idaho Falls. I I was catching his show this morning, and he and his co-host, Julie, made the case that the goalposts keep getting moved. And and I'm going to apply this specifically to COVID. We talked about this a lot. But it started out as, and, and hopefully you remember this, do you remember when we were told, don't wear masks? Right. I remember that very clearly, you know, when the first news started to break, don't go around wearing a mask. It's ineffective. And of course, there was concern. It's going to deny masks to the people who need it. The first responders, the first line, the front line people who will be addressing this in medicine. Then came the we got to flatten the curve, which I think we mostly understood to be. It's a one time thing. We just need to flatten it. What did they tell us? Was it two weeks or three weeks? I can't remember. Two. But, OK. Off at two. And so here we are nine months later. Still trying to flatten and reflatten the curve, and and yet it never seems to to 
it never seems to be flattened or at least to the point that, okay, we can we could start to lighten up a little bit and let people open their businesses, make a living, live their lives with some degree of normalcy. Now the vaccine is coming out. And while there's all this cheering, yay, the first doses are being administered. We're saved. The vaccine is here. Look at the fine print. You still are going to be required to wear a mask. You still are going to be required to social distance until those in authority tell us otherwise. Tell me that yeah. the goalposts have not been moved once again. The narrative has been flipped on us once again. Why should we trust them? And it was it was this statement that that was said to me where I, I left the Republican Party. And what they said to me is, Gary, you got to understand, you tell them what they want to hear so you can do what you want to do. Ooh. Ouch. That was that was the like when I said I'm out of here. That's a that's a hard bit of truth, but I believe it is truth. We'll continue our conversation with Gary Welch. Just the other side of these messages. Stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. My guest is Gary Welch. We're talking about a number of different topics, but to Gary, before we leave the, the vaccination issue... I have some really mixed feelings on this in the sense that, uh, you know, I, I know people, my, my good friend, John, the liberal reached out to me yesterday um, asking, you know, are you going to take the vaccine? And and my response was, nah, I'm not planning on it. But I asked him, are you? And he says, absolutely. And I said, OK, well, good. Then I'm going to watch you and I'm going to see if you turn into a zombie. And if you don't, you know, I reserve the right to maybe change my mind a year or so down the road. But I don't want it forced on me. And I believe I right. see that coming. Right. Well, that might be a hard one to sell, but yes, I can't see it coming. Um, I see the vaccine more about it is the way for government to exit out of this now that they've proven that they've done it. See, here's the thing. When you are manipulating people and when you're pushing things through government actions in America, that you can do it in other countries where they're more dictatorial and more tyrannical, not saying that we're not. But in America, we still have this where the people can really you know, motivate to get you out of office and stuff like that. So you have to be careful how you do things. And what you want to do is do it in little doses. And you just, like I said, you increase the dose every time, you warm up the water a little more, a little more, a little more, and Frog doesn't realize it's got boiled. This was a big one, but they can't go too far. We are already seeing signs of what I call COVID fatigue. You've heard of war fatigue where societies get tired of the war, like Vietnam. You know, after nine years, we said, hey, that's enough. This is done. Iran, same scenario. Well, we're having COVID fatigue, and it's starting to manifest itself really hard. So they need a strategy out. They can't say we were wrong. They can't say, well, we should do things differently. The vaccine gives them that exit. Now, what they can do, though, that and they could I don't know if they're going to try to push this. I would say politically it would be a mistake to do so, but they could try to do the forced vaccines. But I think that instead they're just going to use it. And then all of a sudden COVID goes away and everything's fine. Everybody, the deaths will still occur. 
and they'll still be going on, but nobody's going to report it. Nobody's going to talk about it because now it'll be something else. You know, it's not going to be COVID deaths because it's, it's done its job. It, it's achieved with their goals. And now they have to have this exit so that we don't go into COVID fatigue and start rebelling and saying, look, you guys are going to get kicked out because of this. Dang, I want to disagree, but but that does make sense. And I want to, I want to throw them out, <laughs> at least the ones who have caused issues. I think they deserve to be voted out. But instead, I, I mean, in the bizarre world that we live in, uh, who is it? Governor Cuomo and I forget, is it uh, de Blasio have actually, you know, we're going to be nominated for Emmys because of what we did. You know, we're, we're going to they're going to make a movie about us. We're going to be famous because of how we handled covid. But I've, I've said this all along, that that's the role of the wrong thinkers. And it goes back to my original point. Don't look for the voters to do things. It takes them a while to catch on. It takes them a while to get involved. It's us wrong thinkers that we never need. We we never can let up. We always got to push this. We've always got to talk about the mistakes they made. And, and especially in the point of looking at it from, um, you know, going back and looking at the, the things that happened in the very beginning. We should be going back to March and talking about that. What did they know? What did they have? What kind of decisions were they making? Because when you look at what the evidence is out there, it shows that they made a whole bunch of bad decisions. And that's our job. That's what the influencers and these these politically active people need to start doing is saying, these guys really screwed up and we need to hold them accountable for that screw up. I agree. Okay, let's let's shift now and talk about some solutions. Um, I, I think we've done a good job of, of pinning down many of the problems, and it feels good having complained a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> Got that off my chest. But uh, but let's talk about some of the solutions. Um, I know there are people who, who are seriously hunkering in fear with the, you know, the, the camps. They're going to start filling the camps immediately upon Joe Biden taking office. I don't think that's a very productive mindset. That sounds like something that would paralyze a person into absolute ineffectiveness. Where can we be effective? What do you recommend those first steps be? So the first thing that I recommend is, one, let's don't be the couch complainers where we sit on our couch and say, well, if I was running things and if it was up to me and these guys are messing up here and they're doing this and they're doing that and that's it. That's all we do. And, and what I would say to those who are listening to us, when you hear people doing that, whether they're calling in, and like when they call into your show, Brian, and say, you know, well, I don't like this and this and this, the response should always be, well, what are you going to do about it? Because it, we, we seem to be happy and content with just complaining. We've, we've turned into a nation of complainers, especially those of us who are in the liberty conservative movement. I have never met a group of people that sit around and complain so much. And then when you say, okay, let's do something. Well, you know, GOP is corrupt and there's nothing you can do with that. And third parties don't work. So we can't do that. So I'm just going to sit here and complain because it's nice and easy and comfortable to do so. We've, we've got to start sitting there and saying, okay, we no longer complain. And then the second thing that I brought up before the, the big mental shift that has to happen is this is not a sports team, folks. If the Republicans don't do what you want them to do. If they're not standing up for your principles, their, their win is not your win. And we have to look at it from a point of here are my principles. 
I'm going to support those who support my principles and don't support those who don't. And I don't care what party, what affiliation or whatever they are. You support my principles and I vote for you. And if you don't, I won't. No, I, I agree. And and I, I mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. As far as that, you know, that couch criticism, criticism, um, it's very easy to be against something. By the way, politicians do this all the time. They'll stand up and they'll grandstand. Oh, I am against this. And they'll pick something bad. I'm against slavery. Wow. No kid. What a brave stand. Holy cow. Can you believe he's against slavery in this day and age when it doesn't exist? You know, it's like, okay. But to be a decent human being, to actually live as a good, productive member of society who is, who is a positive influence in the lives of the people around them, that requires effort. And I think sometimes we forget and we take that, that cheap virtue signaling route of just being against things and being angry about things as opposed to stepping up and living affirmatively and positively for something. And I don't know, maybe maybe we should touch for a moment on what are the things we, what do we stand for? What do we live for? And I, this is an individual thing, but Gary, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. There are things that are important to you that, that I know you would stand up and be counted for. What are a couple of those things? I find the rights that have been placed in the Constitution I, I've I've I have sworn an oath to defend that, and I have literally put my life on the line to protect those. So that shows you how important it is. I'm one of those individuals that says, "Yes, I am willing to die for this." It's not just a philosophical cause for me; it's something very important. And I want to make this clear: I was willing to die for the principles that made America great, not because of America. I am not one of those guys that says I'm going to die for the flag. That is not where a country is just a country. I do not believe in nationalism, but the principles of what America is based on really are strong, what I call God given principles. And they are absolutely worth dying for. And that's where I stand. That's what I believe in, in that protection of our rights as, as our founding fathers defined that, that, that is one of those things where I do believe it came from God. It was inspiration from God about defining who we are, what we are, why we are on this earth and then creating a government to protect that. That's very well said, but, but I can tell by the way that you spell that out, this isn't something you, you, you didn't just come up with that on, on a moment's notice, right? You're not just shooting from, no. from the hip here. Um, this is something that involves some serious thought, contemplation and, and conscious decision. You know, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. How did you start that process? In understanding that when I when my big moment came when I realized that I lived in a socialist country and and that understanding that the government of America and the in the nation of America is not the one that my founding fathers found and created and it's not based on those principles and therefore there is a difference. I do separate the two. Okay. And and for for the sake of defining socialism, just because some people think, well, that's just a conservative cuss word. When you say socialism, what does that broadly refer to? It involves an enlightened elite that feels like they can tell everybody what to do and that they have all the answers. It does. It's a myth that that's perpetuated on us. That somebody knows better than you how to organize, order and run your life. Yeah. 
I feel that no word coming on <laughs> one more time. We've got to take a quick break. Gary Welch is my guest. If you want to join the conversation, time is running out. 801-331-8113. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. We're talking about solutions because we know a lot of people are frustrated right now. There are a lot of people uh, unhappy that uh, attempts to to keep the election from going a certain way didn't pan out. And, you know, that's that's the risk. Elections happen. Somebody wins, somebody loses. But uh, but, Gary, it feels like there's more at stake here than just simply this team won. That team didn't. Rah, rah, rah. It feels like there's there is a subversion of our whole process by which political power is held accountable. That's at stake. And there's there's a word that people need to learn. Um, I would call it the N word, but that has kind of a negative connotation. But it is an N word. Tell us about that word. That's nullification. And you and I have talked about this before. It is a big deal. It is the way that you can avoid the violence. You can avoid the the dissension. You can avoid all of the uh, the submission to, to authority and yet be able to accomplish your goals. And this was one of the things that I was, when you first brought up, you know, you're talking about the Proud Boys and Antifa. We don't have to get violent against Antifa to stop them. What we've got to do is very simple. Deny them their political goals. They go away when you deny them their political goals. You don't need to fight them. There's no need for bloodshed. We don't need to shoot them. What we need to do is just get enough gonads, if to be politely, to stand <laughs> up and say, you're not going to get any everything you want. You're not going to get anything you want because you are using violence to get it. Therefore, I don't even care if you're right. I'm going to deny you that ability to get what you want because that's not the way to get it. That's all we've got to do. And when it comes to tyrants, you know, the, we live in a country where we still have the ability now to, to, to peacefully cause a revolution, which is what our, gov- our founding fathers set up, is a way to have peaceful revolutions. And one of that is using nullification. And the way that, that I have proposed to doing this is through local elections. And, and here's my philosophy. If you had people like wrong thinkers, let's say we put wrong thinkers in every city government and every county government, we could stop the state from perpetuating these things you do. And then to take it one step further, if I had that and then I had the state legislatures all with wrong thinkers and a governor with wrong thinker, you could put Karl Marx as president and all his buddies in Congress, and we would be a freer, more prosperous society than we are now. You know, I, I had a conversation with Eric Peters earlier today, and he said one of the bright spots of of all of the COVID lockdown, you know, um, power and flexing of the, the muscle of the state is that uh, there's a point now where even in, say, California, which I think may be the worst of the worst when it comes to lockdowns, there are sheriffs 
departments, not just the, the individual sheriff, but the entire department being say, being told we are not going to enforce this. We are not going to be the ones going out there and enforcing this mandate on the citizenry. And so um, I, I guess my point is, yes, in political office, it's good to have people who understand nullification and are willing to do that at the local, the county and the state level. But there are other positions and there are other places in life where people can can nullify as well. Um, I'll give you the example of, of someone who is set up to do uh, mask enforcement at a, at a business. If that person isn't jumping people's case and angrily demanding adjust your mask and do this, if they just uh, quietly greet people, maybe they give them a reminder. You might uh, want to consider putting on a mask or something like that, but otherwise leave people alone. In a sense, they are nullifying. And I just I offer this only as we 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 can't think exclusively on the level of government, but there are other ways that we can nullify, you know, tyranny. As, as it tries to come into our lives. And so when we first talked about this on one of our shows, the very next day, the sheriff over at Iron County in Utah made a public announcement. I hope he did it because he heard our show and said, yeah, I'm going to be one of those individuals. But he made an announcement saying that the, you know, the Iron County Sheriff's Office was not going to enforce it. And then if the county officials would say the same things, we are instructing our health departments that they are not going to issue any fines, they're not going to take any action regarding this, that has that power of making it effective. Now, if businesses want you to wear masks, if business wants you to social distance, and if you decide to do so on your own, that's great. And we and I would even be supportive of that. I've, I've been very con- courteous about wearing a mask because it's not for me. I do it for others because I'm just that type of person. I want to be nice. And if you are freaked out about COVID, cool, I'll wear a mask because it doesn't bother me that much and it makes you feel better, even though we, I know it's not, it's useless, it's not working, but it makes you feel better. I don't want to cause any stress in your life, so I wear it. But that would be the thing. It would be voluntarily. We would do it because we want to or we think we should, but we're not having government tell us. And the state could have done all they wanted to. The Herbert here in Utah could have issued order after order after order, and everything would have just gone on as normal. And we, and we would have just went, yeah, whatever. That makes sense. That makes sense. So um, moving forward then, and, and I'm not telling people, you know, this is now is the time, you know, we, we will found our third party and away we will go. But there has to be ways that we can organize ourselves to, to magnify, you know, our, our influence. And and I don't you know, I'm, I, politics is the first thing that's going to come to most people's minds. Gary, are there other ways that people can organize to make their influence felt? So this was actually an issue that came up um, some time ago. And, and there was a group of us that got together because we looked at two things. We looked at the GOP that we feel is totally corrupt. I'm not saying all Republicans and all Republican politicians are corrupt. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the party itself, as an organization and an institution, it is totally corrupt. There are people in power, they're keeping their power, and they're doing their things that they want to do, which is not aligned up with their own platform and their own principles. But we also saw the ineffectiveness of third parties. Third parties have just been horrible, absolutely terrible. And I'm even throwing the libertarians in that as good as they are, as the biggest third party out there, you got 2% of the presidential vote, man, that's embarrassing. That's not effective. And here's the thing. Here's what I really want to say. 
it's not it, you you can't just be right you have to be effective being right and ineffective the only thing that that does for you is it, it gives you the ability to say i told you so when the jackbooted thugs come in and break down your door to haul you off to the concentration camp being effective you stop the jackbooted thugs from breaking down that door so we can't be right anymore. We have to be effective. And that does require a third party to do so. And I, and and we actually, there is a party out there. I just want to, I'm going to plug it and I'm going to recommend No, go for it. Go, go for it. it. The United America Party. You know, Brian's not so officially affiliated. I don't know where he is. You know, he and I have talked about it, but he's never said, yeah, I'm in or not. This is not a Brian Hyde endorsement. This is just me saying there was a party created that said, how can we do this? How can we prevent corruption, number one? And then how can we go out there and be an effective third party? And so this party was actually created on the, the key words of it, honesty, integrity, and accountability. We will hold our candidates and our leaders accountable. They're going to write contracts for the things that they promise. And when we introduce that, that accountability for our candidates, we think that there's going to be a change. And then you have to use that vehicle a political party vehicle to actually make change. If you don't have a political party, you're not going to be able to have change. That It's impossible in this country to do so without that. Okay. That's not exactly the answer I was hoping to hear, but but at the same time, it makes sense. It really does. And and I know that there are people out there who share the same concerns that you and I have, Gary. And and one of the, one of the things that's so frustrating is feeling like, well, but I'm just the lone voice, you know, in the wilderness. I don't feel like uh, I don't feel like I'm I'm able to do anything just on my own. There, there's something very empowering about even finding a, a couple of people who think like you do, let alone organizing with them. Political parties are organizations of actions, and that's why we like them. And and here's another thing about the United America Party: we're going to focus on local elections. We're we're going to really I, we're, we're going to focus on city counties. And, and those types of organizations of changing them first and having that ability to do that nullification. And I think that that's a very strategic way of winning. You can win local elections. You don't need the big money. You don't need all these things. And we can actually do something and cause a change to happen. Okay. Is there a website to, for the party you mentioned? Yeah. UnitedAmericaParty.org. Okay. Gary, thanks for sitting down and having this therapy session with me. It was my therapy, by the way. It was for me. Thanks for letting me pick your brain and and uh, getting some things out there. I, I know I'm not the only one feeling this, and let's get together next week and talk again then. Let's do it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.